We're live, folks. Welcome to the Wagme Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your co-host, Colin Garini. I'm joined by my colleague, Tyler Ribnack. Tyler, say hi. What's up? Uh, what's up? The old classic. So you can find us at Twitter at Wagme Fantasy. That is at W-A-G-M-I Fantasy. That's our handle. We have our webpage in our bio there for those who want to go directly to our website. It is at wagmefantasyfootball.godaddysites.com. There you'll find our blog content that we've been releasing since January. Goes into depth on our management process and a couple lessons that we've learned from our fantasy football experience. And for those who are still wondering what the hell a WAGME is, WAGME stands for We Are All Gonna Make It. And that is we're all going to make it by listening to Wagney Fantasy Football Podcast. Tyler, what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about some lessons we learned from the 2021 fantasy football season. And who, like, who taught us very harshly? Both of us. Burned us both badly. I'm going to have to say Christian McCaffrey was our biggest burn on the season last year. Both, both, of us. Us, both of us took him number one in our respective drafts. And we really couldn't be blamed. The top five from last year's ADP, you had CMC, the consensus number one. Dalvin Cook was at number two. Kamara came in at three. Derrick Henry at four. And Zeke, five. Dumpster fire of injuries throughout the top five. And then Zeke's just a dumpster fire himself. So you're damned if you did and damned if you didn't, really, with the top five pick. Yeah, looking at all of them, Christian McCaffrey only played seven games, Dalvin Cook 13, Kamara 13, Derrick Henry only nine. Zeke got in all 17, but he still didn't do very well. So injuries really just hurt all those top five picks last year. Absolutely. And the thing about Christian McCaffrey was we knew heading into the season that he was a big injury risk. You think you look back at 2020, the season prior to last year, and he only played in three games. He missed 13 games due to ankle, shoulder, and thigh injuries. So the man was just falling apart. And what's like, to summarize this, how can we wrap it up in one sentence? What can you do and can you not with your first pick? Uh, you got to get insurance for your first pick. You can't, you can't win the league with your first pick, but you can definitely lose it. Well said. Well said. Get the early ones right. Um, like you said, you're so vulnerable. If you lose your first round pick for the season, as we both did, you're just so far behind for the rest of the season. You're catching win with everybody else. Yeah. So, I mean, I having the first round pick, I didn't really want to take Christian McCaffrey, but you got to, but you just got to be smart with it. Even if you do, you can't blame yourself. Don't blame yourself, Tyler. It's Okay. <laughs> We've gone to counseling for this. And for those who drafted Christian McCaffrey as well, we feel your pain. And we're going to move on from it. But one glaring thing that has kind of held true over the, the last like 40 years of football is this was a report done by Ty Shelter from Bleacher Report was a running back with 370 plus carries or more in a season had a significant risk of injury in the next season. In fact, almost all of them suffered an injury or they just became significantly less effective after that such high volume for a year. So the only outlier here was Eric Dickerson. 
that trend was stronger with 390 plus carries in a season. All players averaged to a decrease of 33 yards in total yards and 11% in yards per carry. What do you have to say about that? I mean, it makes sense. We just got to look out for it in the future years now. So do we know which running backs would be like that for next year or who to look out for? I mean, not really for next year because, I mean, Najee Harris touched the ball 381 times, but I'm not exactly going to label him as a injury risk. He seemed pretty sturdy all year. You're a big Yinzers fan. Go Steelers, right? Yeah. yeah. What do you think of Najee? Do you think he's a risk next year taken early or what? I mean, he did have a lot of touches last year, but I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to get him someone to relieve him. Like they can't do that every year. So I think hopefully the Steelers figure something out where they don't have to do that with him. But if he continues to take that workload, it might be a problem. Mike Tomlin has been pretty adamant on one QB systems. You got to look back through Le'Veon Bell, James Conner. I, I don't think that trend's going away. I think Harris is going to touch the ball 300 times at a very minimum. You're likely going to reach 350 to 400. Man, that Steelers offense is putrid for next year. I'm sorry. Well, he's a workhorse. Alabama running backs. Yeah. You know what happens to workhorse? They just come less efficient over time. But look, that back to that 370 carry trend and the 390 mark as well. You look, CMC touched the ball 403 times in 2019, uh, which marked his third straight year of 16 plus or 16 games played in the season. So no injury risk up until that point, touches the ball 400 times in a season. And he misses 23 of the next 33 games. And here we are in the present time. Derrick Henry touched the ball almost 400 times in 2020, 397 to be exact. Look how he went down. Was it his foot last year that he injured? I think so. Yeah. And I, so. I would I would imagine that's just so much stress. I forget the exact parameters to his injury. I know he came back in the playoffs, but. Still, when you hammer out 400 touches in a year, it's just inevitable that something's going to fall off the tracks. Yeah, I don't know, especially as big as he is. I don't know how he doesn't. I don't know. I didn't get hurt even more. I know 250 pounds of just straight muscle mass moving your way. Good luck, defenders. But Saquon touched the ball 352 times in 2018. Dalvin Cook who misses multiple games every year. So lesser extent, this really applies to him, but he still touched the ball 356 times in 2020, a career high, and he missed four games this past season. So just be cautious of guys who are getting a lot of volume. You know, obviously we want running backs in fantasy who are going to touch the ball 20, 25 times a game, but might be better to opt for a more efficient guy operating with less touches Kamara comes to name. Austin Eckler was excellent. This Austin excellent fantasy footballers gave him a good nickname. I forget what it was, but keep that in mind. High volume. Just be cautious when drafting those guys. You better prepare yourself. You better, you better plan. So how do you plan? Well, you got to handcuff your top two running backs. That's another lesson we learned this past year. 
And, you know, this was my philosophy that I kind of adopted over the last two, three years is I want my top two backs secured. If they go down, I better have the backup on my bench. Even if they collect dust the whole season, I just have peace at mind knowing if my starter goes down, I got the guy filling in that void and volume and I can, I can keep managing my team how I would regardless whether that starter was in or out. Yeah, this one hurts me because there was one week where Christian McCaffrey came back and I was like, I, I still had Chubba Hubbard on my team. And for one week, I was like, oh, I need I need one more bench spot to pick up someone I need. So I dropped Chubba Hubbard. I was like, no way does Christian mm. McCaffrey get hurt this week. He got uh, hurt that week. You know, Hubbard wasn't that efficient, but I know what you mean. You definitely want that guy. McCaffrey surrenders 25, 30 touches in a game. Somebody's going to get them get his back up even if they're not like a stereotypical rb1 in fantasy they're still the starting guy getting the most of the touches on that team with the starter down exactly last year my two starting running backs coming post draft were aaron jones and daryl henderson boy am i glad i got aj dylan and sony michelle both of them handcuffed them both didn't really have to worry about anything throughout the season Jones and Hendo went down at times could just plug in AJ Dillon and Sony Michelle right in there and really just operate the same way. Dillon in the two game. So Jones, I believe he suffered like a sprained MCL. I think it was against the Seahawks mid season and AJ Dillon took the bulk of the work for the next two weeks while Jones was out or hindered. He averaged 18 points in those next two games. It was just nice to not have to worry about anything. Throw Dylan in there, set it and forget it. I got the starter in the Green Bay backfield. And also Sony Michelle, I mean, Hendo was hurt like four freaking times throughout the season. So having Michelle came up clutch, he averaged 13 points per game while filling in, doing a serviceable job. And, you know, those aren't heroic numbers, but I can count on consistent consistent efforts from everybody else yeah someone else who was really good as a backup was uh, alexander madison when Donald oh, yeah. Cook went down oh yeah really big what he averaged like 20 21 mm, gotta be about 20 yeah 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 i mean cook missed four games but madison's such a good he's an elite handcuff that's a guy that when Cook goes down, you might even get more points out of Madison than what Cook would provide. Because again, you just have that assurance. And look, don't draft your RB4 on your team. You know, he's on your bench for 15 games of the year. Don't draft JD McKissick or Jamal Williams when you can get AJ Dillon or Sony Michelle. All those guys were lumped in the same average draft position of last year roughly and why take a mediocre running back on another team when you can get your starters back up it's just safer concentrate your efforts in the running back position again risk averse you see i had jd mckissick last year (laughs) and i'm pretty sure he he was pretty good for a couple weeks when uh gibson was down He's hot trash. I didn't have Gibson, though. Case in point. Yeah. If you had Gibson, absolutely grab JD. 
but you see what I'm saying? Like, don't, don't take a mediocre RB four from another team. Just concentrate your efforts. If, If you have a good offense, like Green Bay and like Los Angeles were last year, lock the backfield down. The running back's going to be an important and valuable position in fantasy. They're going to hit Pater, you know, once a week, and they're going to get, even if they just get 12 touches, that could be enough to throw your rate around 15 points. And again, doesn't take heroic efforts from anybody in a, on a championship football team, just consistent, solid results. Yeah, and if you don't handcuff your starting running back and you drafted a running back in round one, you kind of just wasted that first pick if they end up going down. Absolutely. Again, concentrate your efforts. That's my suggestion with the running back position. I like having five-plus running backs on my team in total, assuming we got seven bench spots, standard redraft format. You know, they could only come from three teams, and I'm fine. I'm feeling comfortable. What, what about quarterbacks? Let's move over there and stop talking about running backs. I think one of the things I learned from quarterbacks was that you don't have to waste an early pick on a quarterback to get a good one. I mean, I had drafted Tom Brady pretty late. I mean, yeah, it's Tom Brady, but still, I got him pretty late, and he was the quarterback one for almost the whole season. Right. I think he finished at QB3. He's being drafted is it QB9, somewhere around there. Somewhere around there. He, he was middle of the pack. But yeah, one QB. Are you talking about one QB formats, I assume? Yeah, yeah. It's a little different with two quarterbacks. They have a little more value there, but one quarterback format, it's more important to just wait on it. Right. Josh Allen was the outlier last year. He was far and away QB1. Average almost a point and a half more per game than the QB2 for the year. All top 10 QBs average. 20.4 points per game or better. So at most you're sacrificing four points from that top guy. And, you know, taking the number one at a position isn't necessarily the best standard of measurement. Yeah. And that doesn't mm-hmm. even include Lamar. Lamar averaged 20.8. He was another guy drafted real high. What we're saying is you can get a solid QB middle round And look at what you're giving up. Like, look, when you draft Josh Allen in the second or third round, you're missing great wide receiver twos, RB twos. You know, you could grab Joe Mixon last year or even like CD Lamb, solid wide receiver two. And now you're hindered in that position, just overcompensating for a good quarterback. Yeah, I think it's really important to not focus on drafting specifically for a position, especially with quarterback, but just whoever's the best person available. Like if Josh Allen falls to you in a perfect spot, go ahead and take him. But I wouldn't reach on quarterback. No, I agree. And to each your own, I guess, like it depends what kind of composite you want with your roster. If you want an elite quarterback, if you want Josh Allen, who's going to outscore everybody at that position by a point or two per game. Sure. Go ahead. But I prefer having really strong running backs, really strong receivers, good tight end if I can if I can get all of that. And quarterback's a position that I will put less emphasis on in a one QB league. Look at the quarter who who was drafted from QB eight to thirteen last year. Look at those names. Oh my God, is that Justin Herbert? 
Tom Brady, Matt Stafford, Ryan Tannehill, Jalen Hurts, and Joe Burrow. Yeah, and Tannehill's the only one that you're probably upset about. Everybody else is phenomenal. Where'd they, where'd they finish? Well, Justin Herbert's QB2, Tom Brady QB3, Matt Stafford QB5, Tannehill 12, but Jalen Hurts at 9 and Joe Burrow at 8. And I think Hurts, he missed a couple games for some sort of injury. Those first seven weeks, I believe he scored over 20 points per game. So, and for the season, he averaged about 21, I think. So he was phenomenal. I, I don't think you can walk away disappointed if you drafted Jalen Hurts as your starting quarterback last year. And think about the rewards you got operating by drafting a higher end wide receiver too, compared to reaching on somebody like Dak or Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson. There were some big names around those ADPs right there. Fifth, sixth round, there were some steals. I mean, I've always felt that with a quarterback, it always feels like you can find a guy that's going to average their 20 points a game, and you can't really ask for much more than that. Right. The top five QBs, QB one, two, five on the year, I think they scored 385 points on average and QB six to 10 average 325 points per game. So, you know, I guess that's three points per game, which is sort of significant on a week to week basis, but by opting to choose one of those guys later, you're going to get somebody better in your skill set position simply. So I think you can make that three points per game up by having stronger running backs and receivers. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would say you, you definitely went out by drafting for, for for what you miss. You definitely get a better pick better than that quarterback that you shouldn't really be taking that early. Mark Andrews, Chris Godwin, Deontay Johnson, Cooper Cup, DeAndre Swift, all around the ADP of Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson last year. Again, to each their own, but I'm going to choose to take a chance on a really strong receiver or running back get those positions. They're way more scarce in quarterback, especially in one QB leagues. I think I can do without a top three QB. Yeah, I agree. So last year I did super flex for the first time. I have to say, I love it over, over one QB leagues. I think super flex takes more Explain strategy. That to me. Explain super flex. So it's just like standard, except for, you get, I think true super flex is three starting wide receivers. And then you get a second flex where you can start a quarterback in. So you have one standard flex running back wide receiver, tight end. And then the second flex, you can start quarterback or running back wide receiver, tight end more points. We cut out, we did ours a little different than standard, um, standard super flex. We did just two QBs and two flexes and no defense or kicker. But they're pretty much similar. But I got to say, I love two QB leagues now. But one thing that I learned from them, and, you know, there's only 32 starting quarterbacks in the league. So if you got a 12-team league, that's two and a half quarterbacks on a team on average. So it, it quarterbacks are heavily more valuable in those formats. And you get rookie quarterbacks that you're going to have to draft or rely on or take a chance. And one thing I learned is don't over-concentrate on a rookie quarterback. Don't throw all your eggs in one basket. 
Last year, five quarterbacks were taken in the top 15 picks of the NFL draft. Mac Jones was the 15th overall, so the fifth quarterback drafted. He ended up being the best fantasy rookie quarterback, and he only finished QB 18. So if you took a chance on Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, uh, we'll get to him in a second, or Mac Jones, you struggled. You were forfeiting points on average at that position. And it's not even just a quarterback play that you have to be cautious about. You really can't rely on their targets either. I mean, look at Jacksonville's receiving room sucked. I think the highest wide receiver that had a rookie quarterback was Brandon Cooks. He came in at wide receiver 20. Darnell Mooney had fields throwing to him for the majority of the year. Mooney was wide receiver 23 and he eclipsed a thousand yards. So that was a pleasant surprise for Mooney fantasy owners. Mooney to the moon. Am I right? Big, big Mooney fan, but I'll, I'll get to my story now with this. I drafted Justin Fields and Allen Robinson last year thinking my thought process was Allen Robinson. He gets it done regardless of who throws him the ball. Mitch Trubisky, Blake Bortles, who I don't care. He's going to get 150 targets, 100 catches, and just be a top 12 receiver. It's one of the safest receivers of the last half decade since he got in the league, really. But I took the duo in Fields and Robinson, and I got burned at the stake. Fields finished at QB 31. Robinson, wide receiver, 81. So you won't catch me drafting a rookie quarterback and receiver connection. I really overexposed myself. We talk about risk aversion. I doubled down on a rookie quarterback, and that's a cardinal sin that I found out the hard way. I overcame it. I performed well on the season, but it was the one thing holding me back from actually getting that title. I was the runner-up, and if only I had – what Allen Robinson was expected to be. And I don't even care about Justin Fields. If he just threw Robinson the ball, I would have been fine. But don't double down on a rookie. They're way too volatile. Look at Trevor Lawrence. He threw the most interceptable passes, 50 last year. But he also threw the fourth most money throws. And money throws are throws derived from exceptional passing talent or athleticism or strength. So, you know, he might've thrown the most impressive throws, but he also threw the most interceptable throws. They're way too volatile to count on. I'd avoid rookie quarterbacks in all formats. Yeah, I'd agree. I think, but would you, would you go for Trevor Lawrence next year? Yeah. I think with the money throws, fourth most money throws it it looks like a good sign I think he might grow up a little bit and probably get those interceptions down like most rookie quarterbacks do and then probably a little more value there yeah I mean when you hear the old adage of rookie quarterbacks and interceptions everybody wants to throw the anomaly of Peyton Manning throwing 28 as a rookie setting the record and becoming Peyton Manning not everybody's Peyton Manning I I'll ask you a question. Would you rather have Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence next year? Probably Zach Wilson. Good answer. 
I know you're a big Zach Wilson fan. Oh, yeah. To the moon. He's got everybody now this year. I mean, he had a decent supporting cast last year. But you got to think of who they added over the offseason. CJ Uzuma, Tyler Conklin, and then their rookie tandem of Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall. That offense is loaded with average talent. <laughs> but there's plenty yeah. of them. You know, there's plenty of them. So it should there's be no, fun. No, no stars, but they got... They got weapons. Anyway. Listen, listen, Garrett Wilson's going to be a star. I'm putting my bank account on it. I got a share of him in Dynasty over the offseason, so I can't wait. I'm riding him. And I don't even have any biases towards him. I'm a big Penn State fan. He would torch Penn State from Ohio State's sideline, and I still think he's going to be a star. So back to you doubling down on Justin Fields with with uh, A-Rob. Would you, would you do that with a veteran quarterback? Give me like a quarterback and receiver duo that's – Tom Brady, Mike Evans. Oh, for sure. For sure this year. Mike Evans to like – I think – I just came across this stat. I think Mike Evans averages a touchdown once every 8.4 targets from Tom Brady. 27 touchdowns over the past two years. No Chris Godwin to start the year. Oh, geez. Like, I think Mike Evans could turn out a monster year this year. And he's so dang consistent. How many years consecutive of a 1,000 yards? Oh, I don't know. It's got to be however long he's been in the league, which is seven or eight years. He's just super reliable, super consistent. Got to get you double-digit touchdowns. Where do you, where would you rank Brady heading into next year, though? Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I would still take him. I'm not. I feel like most people now want like a rushing quarterback, but I'm still not really afraid of getting that pocket passer that's just gonna throw touchdowns instead of rack up those yards on their with their feet. I like the upside of a rushing QB, <laughs> hence why I took Justin Fields. He came in with those expectations. He had a couple really impressive scampers. That one touchdown against San Francisco was probably the best run of the year out of anybody. I like the upside, but I hear what you're saying. I mean, you can get 200 yards and two touchdowns passing, and that's an easy 16 points right there. Pretty reliable. Yeah, I'm just not not afraid of the old traditional quarterback yet. So... What Joe Mixon teach you? You got to forget about the past sometimes. Joe Mixon, I had him uh, probably two years prior, and just all the all the social media was telling you not to get him. I'm not drafting Joe Mixon again this year. I'm not letting him do it. He fell into my lap, and I passed on him. Ah, uh, and you missed out on the RB4 season right there. He was sensational this year. He wasn't that consistent, I think, in uh, Andy Holloway and the fantasy footballers. They do consistency rankings. I believe Joe Mixon checked out at like seven or eight, which is less than his overall finish. But, hey, I'm on the other side of this coin. I drafted Joe Mixon for the third straight year. The prior two years, he disappointed me drastically. 2019, well, 2019, I drafted him, I think, Took him as the RB8 
in the draft somewhere around there. And he finished right around RB 15, 13 or 15 in 2019. So I was mildly disappointed and frustrated in that performance. Doubled down on him in 2020, just hearing all the news that he's a great workhorse back. He blows out whatever he injured six weeks into the season. And I was left in shambles because of him, but ran it back third straight year and he finally paid dividends. So sometimes you just got to forget. I mean, it even it's, it still surprises me how he did so well last year because everyone was talking about how bad that line was in Cincinnati and they didn't really do much to fix it, but he still ended up killing it. No, you're right. And I don't even think he was that efficient last year. I, I'm not sure what he averaged to the carry, but seemed like he was right around four for the season. I think heading into next – okay, you're a Pittsburgh fan. Heading into next year, would you rather have Najee or Joe PPR format? Uh, it's really hard to tell because we don't know how good the offense is going to look like in Pittsburgh with Oof. the quarterback situation because if they can't get that going, it'll be another uh, tough year. For- I'll, I'll tell you how the offense situation is. You're going to want a paper bag over your head while Mitch Trubisky is on the field. Well, it's not like Ben was doing that great. He wasn't slinging the ball down the field last year. I don't know. I mean, his noodle arm. Yeah, his surgically repaired arm. Yeah. I guess I'd I'd take Joe Mixon, unfortunately. I think I would, too, because they invested quite a bit this offseason into that offensive line. They brought in Collins from – Dallas Cowboys, Leo Collins, really good tackle. He rated out 20 PFF rating points ahead of their starting right tackle last year. And then they signed, who was it? Alex Kappa from Tampa Bay, the guard. You know, Kappa's a solid guard. They're they're upgrading that line to maybe preserve Joe Burrow a little bit more and feed Joe Mixon the rock. Yeah. Yeah, I really don't think you could go wrong with either one of them, but neither do I. Going back to the forgiveness question, you know, Allen Robinson is a name that I'm going to have to forgive this offseason. He burned me badly last year, drafted him as my, well, I had the turnaround back to back picks, took him and Keenan Allen back and forth, two PPR machines. Robinson didn't come through for me, but listen, I'm forgiving him. I'm just going to get it on the record out of the way right now. Alan Robinson, you are forgiven. I will contemplate drafting you next year. Where he would rank, I don't know. I don't know. You got to think about it. That wide receiver two position in Los Angeles's offense is really valuable Cooper Cup likely isn't going to go nuclear again. Maybe just a little less form of nuclear. I think A-Rob sees 110 targets and wide receiver too. I could see it. Yeah. So, folks, that's about going to wrap it up. We're going to try and keep these nice, sweet, to the point. Um, We may continue next episode with a couple more lessons that we didn't touch up up on in this episode so stay tuned for that you can 
listen to this on pretty much any platform. We're going to get it out everywhere we can. If you need it on a different platform or somebody else does, let us know. DM us on Twitter. You can find us at the Twitter handle at Wagme Fantasy. Again, at W-A-G-M-I Fantasy. Our website is in our bio on our Twitter page. You can go directly there at wagmefantasyfootball.godaddysites.com. There you'll find all our blog content that we've been releasing. Some good stuff in there. Uh, we've been churning out stuff since January, a lot dealing with management advice, some rookie previews as of late, just went through running backs and first round wide receivers. So there's, there's good stuff there. If you're going to be visiting our website in the near future, it may look a lot different. We are in the process of transferring our domain to Squarespace because I hate GoDaddy. They suck. They're the worst. Follow us on Twitter if you haven't already. Again, we already mentioned our handle a thousand times. That's at WagMeFantasy. Take a hint. Follow us. Share it with your friend. Let's grow. You can contact us on Twitter. We're very active there or by email. Our email is football at wagmefantasy.com. We'll be sure to respond in timely fashion. Any last minute remarks, Tyler? I think you got it all. There we go. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Share this with your friends. We will catch you next week. See you guys.